teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a childhood friend of Herod the ruler, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. But I still had to preach, so I don't know how we worked that out, but uh, maybe one day we can get a kid up here preaching. How awesome would that be? Okay. (laughs) The congregation said no. So I want to open uh, this morning by by pulling some threads together for us, getting a little background uh, on the person and the ministry of this guy that we call Barnabas. So when we first meet Barnabas uh, in Acts 4.36, it said that uh, there was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, Joseph, to whom the apostle gave the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And that nickname is far more interesting than Luke is letting on. So Barnabas can indeed be translated the son of encouragement, but it is literally translated as meaning one of the prophets. Interesting. Now remember in Acts 13, that say you just read for us, it just so happens that our list, we have a list of what? Prophets and teachers at Antioch, and it's bookended by who? Barnabas and Saul. Notice Barnabas' names comes first, right? Like not Saul, not Paul, not yet. So I find it interesting that when Paul is uh, encouraging the church in Corinth to pursue spiritual gifts, he makes a case for prophecy over speaking in tongues in 1 Corinthians 14. And I'm more interested not in the gift, but the reasoning of the argument he's making. And he says this, he says, those who prophesy speak to other people for their building up and encouragement and consolation. Those who speak in tongues build up themselves, but those who prophesy build up the church. Encouragement, consolation, and building up the church. Now, who does that sound like? Anybody in Paul's life? And don't worry, today is not one of those days that we dive into a linguistic debate about prophecies and different types of prophets and the different expectations and all of that. Barnabas is not one who prophesies any new vision of the Lord. Rather, Barnabas is one who is going to speak out with the authority about what God has already put into motion. Last week, we mentioned how hesitant Ananias might have been to go to Saul of Tarsus and invite him in to the fellowship of Christian community. And the rest of Acts 9 doesn't seem to play out uh, any different, right? When Saul tries to go to Jerusalem, uh, he doesn't exactly get a warm welcome from those that he was previously trying to hunt down like animals. But there is one man who makes a difference. Barnabas comes into the chaos, he sticks up for Paul, and he affirms his work in Damascus. Let's see it in chapter 9. We'll we'll pick up at verse 26. It says, when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, 
for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles, described for them how on the road he had seen the Lord who had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. And language scholars much smarter than me, they point out that Luke's original use of the original languages, right, when he tells us that Joseph of Cyprus is nicknamed Barnabas, Luke does it in a way that brings to mind uh, this use of Barnabas, the act of calling people closer together into closer intimacy and stronger comfort. And so it's of no surprise that as the story of the church progresses through the book of Acts and the church of Jerusalem gets wind of all that's happening in Antioch, it says in Acts 11.22, that when news of this came to their ears, the church in Jerusalem, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced. He exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast devotion. Verse 25, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so it, there, it was there for an entire year. They met with the church, and they taught a great many people. And here's why I drag that out, right? Barnabas is calling out what God has already put into motion as a way to build up the community of God's church. And Barnabas knows that the only way to get that done in the Christian church is to be a disciple who makes disciples. That is the only model Jesus has given us for authentic Christian fellowship. God is going to take Saul of Tarsus and he's going to transform him into Paul the apostle, teacher and leader of the church, but not without the ministry of Barnabas. Could God have accomplished all this without Barnabas? Sure, God can do whatever he wants. And that may just be precisely the point. God does not set distance in the heavens and respond to the sufferings and injustice of his peoples by snapping his fingers. God chooses to come down, put on flesh and bone, and walk among us. And for whatever reason, God chooses you and me as instruments to accomplish his purposes. The other day on Facebook, uh, Cedar Creek put out a post prompting people to talk about a teacher who has made a positive impact in their life. It's one of those rare times where I scroll through all of the comments. You just kind of settle in and you just go through everything that's going. And I saw some names of some great teachers I hadn't thought about in a long time. And then I started to think about a teacher that made an impact on me uh, during each grade of school. Just why not? just happened to go to this same school all those years. And if I had to pick one who stood out, who would that be? And as I thought about it more and more, I began to overthink it. And I couldn't pick just one. And then it began to settle uh, with me on the fact that, you know, each of them had a positive impact on me in one way or another. And even among those I would try to put in the, the top list, even they had an impact that was different in one way over the other. It wouldn't be fair to pick just one because they each gave me something different in their own way that the others did not. 
And it may be a bit of a recency bias, but uh, the one that kept coming to mind as having the greatest impact was a writing professor at Tech. I saw this teacher not only uh, who had a passion for the craft, but I felt a great sense of encouragement and mentoring from that professor. It was the first time I'd ever felt like a teacher cared about my progress and the development of this skill that we call writing. And if you're in the crowd or joining us online this morning and you know me uh, from longer than yesterday, I just got myself in a whole lot of trouble. So let me fix it, please. I'm well aware that some of you listening were probably, in fact, most likely one of my teachers or coaches, uh, grade school, middle school, high school. Let me say, I I know you cared about me. I see that. I believe that. uh, And you worked with me well past the point of view that you should have, right? I think we all know if little Michael Cloud was good at anything, it was testing your patience (laughs) and your professionalism. But because most of you also had some kind of connection to this church or my parents, I kind of put you in that you know, parental category as well, right? You know, I don't know how well the sermons go each week, but mom sure likes them. That means they're not going well, right? <laughs> so that kind of thing. You were, you were there, but, you know, just, oh, well, sure, you kind of have to say that, don't you? You're going to see me on Sunday, right? Hear me say, I know what you did, and I know I wouldn't be who I am today without the influence you had of shaping who I have become. But to be able to get that encouragement, that mentoring from somebody who didn't attend our church, somebody who didn't know my family, it, was, uh, it opened my eyes, my heart, to how impactful, how meaningful this teacher-student, this mentoring relationship can be. And as, well, as I said uh, with the passage before us, more and more this week, it becomes clear that Barnabas wasn't just an advocate but also a kind of a mentor to Saul. Saul of Tarsus cannot do what he needs to do to become Paul the Apostle without Barnabas. It's Barnabas who helps keep Saul on the path when everyone's trying to knock him off it. Barnabas comes alongside this young religious zealot from Tarsus, defends him to the church, affirms his ministry in Damascus, and then gets him, brings him to Antioch, and starts showing him the ropes of ministry inside this new Christian community. It would be the kind of support and encouragement that Saul would need in his early days, because he's going to go through a heck of a lot more as Paul. Barnabas is training up, he is discipling a guy he knows who is going to surpass him in his role as leader and teacher of the church. And the tough part about discipleship is, is, you know, when you've put in a lot of work to teach, mentor, to nurture someone, some recognition would be nice, no? At least a thank you, can we at least get a thank you? Notice I didn't name any of those teachers from before. And that's kind of when doubt starts to creep in, isn't it? We start to wonder if what we're doing is even making a difference. We get tempted to abandon the ministry to which we were first called. But if we will stay faithful to the love with which we had at first, the impact for the kingdom of God will be undeniable. Let me show you what I mean, right? 
So as far as mentors and people who shaped the life of Paul, we're going to talk about Gamaliel way more than we talk about Barnabas. Remember Gamaliel, right? Paul says, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. I studied under the great Gamaliel. Funny thing is, we have almost no information about Gamaliel other than what I just wrote around. He's only mentioned twice in the book of Acts and never again. Barnabas is mentioned 28 times in Acts and five more across Paul's letters. But if I say teacher and mentor of Paul, the number one response is going to be Gamaliel, not Barnabas. Why is that? Well, Barnabas is doing something that's foreign to us. He doesn't write a discipleship manual or a how-to Bible study guide for Saul. He didn't even leave any notes. But he modeled a lifestyle. Now, to be fair, Gamaliel would have done this too. This is how rabbis taught, including Rabbi Jesus. But in our Western way of thinking, even when we don't have as much information about them, It's easier to point to the person who's clearly defined as the teacher. We like those nice, neat dividing lines of purpose and structure. And so we miss the weight of his influence on Paul's life. When Barnabas steps into that role from the position of a friend and a colleague, And I go back and forth uh, this week, you know, using the example of teacher and student, because I know most of you are sitting there and you're like, well, I'm no teacher and I'm certainly in no place to be mentoring anybody in the faith. But what did I just say? The man who saves the New Testament and disciples Saul of Tarsus into Paul, the apostle, wasn't a formal teacher. And he didn't approach Paul in this way. But Barnabas steps into the role of disciple maker from the position of a friend and a colleague. This is what it looks like to build up a church of disciples who make disciples. The clearly defined pastors, preachers, and teachers, small group leaders, that only goes so far. The weight of a healthy church was never meant to rest on their shoulders alone. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying, right? The role of teacher, preacher, pastor, they are vital components within the church. We must have solid teachers who disseminate spirit-filled information and help us understand God's word. But the goal of the Christian life is about transformation, not the dissemination of information. Today, we use Paul's letters as a source of teaching and instruction. And there certainly is a part of their purpose to a degree. But Paul is also writing them uh, to communities of fellowship to build up their strength and strengthen their relationships. It's their relationships with God and their relationships with one another. And even after all his teaching to the church in Corinth. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 11.1? Follow me as I follow Christ. He gives his teaching, but what he's modeling is a lifestyle. And this isn't a call to never make mistakes or to never get it wrong or to never look like a hypocrite. Oh, that's going to happen. Get over yourself. It's a call to live a life that becomes the gospel.
It's a conviction to know where you've fallen short and messed up, and then to continue turning towards Christ for perfection. That word that means being more and more consumed with the love and the grace of God until it manifests itself in total love for our neighbor. It's a conviction to become the church that Christ intended us to be. Barnabas calls out what God has already put into motion as a way to build up the church by being a disciple who makes disciples. And Barnabas calls out what God has put into motion as a way to encourage the church into what God wants to do next. It is uh, not insignificant that the first missionary journey comes out of the church in Antioch, not Jerusalem, and that it's focused on Gentiles, not Jews. Now, the Jews certainly aren't ignored by any means. The method will be first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles, first to the synagogues, then to the streets. But it is at Antioch where they are first called Christians. And it is the church in Antioch that sends out the first missionaries of the gospel. And when the church at Antioch commissions uh, Barnabas and Saul in Acts 13, sets them off for ministry that God has placed before them. It's the first time we see the church come together and organize itself for the purpose with which Christ binds us together as a community of faith. Is the purpose of Christ's coming simply to accomplish the individualistic endeavor of saving you from your sins? Or is it to call you out of condemnation and into community? Now, absolutely, Christ died even for you, specifically you. But if that were the end purpose of God's work in your life, then Christ's command to go to the ends of the earth and make disciples makes absolutely no sense. God did not send Christ merely to get us into heaven there and then, but Christ came down to get heaven into us here and now. It's a process that is initiated only by God, that is enacted only through Christ, and it is a process in which God asks us to engage with as well. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. Now go and make disciples, for you will be my witnesses unto the ends of the earth. And lo, I will be with you unto the end of the age. It is impossible to meet Jesus, follow him as Lord and Savior, and not end up living the life that he saved us for. Missions and outreach are not a part of what the church does. They are a natural byproduct of believers growing in a relationship with God. The call to set Barnabas and Saul apart for their missionary journey happens when? While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. It's almost like we come together and worship God, and then, I don't know, we should end the service by being sent out to be who Christ has called us to be. What do they call that, a benediction? I'm getting ahead of myself. 
And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Maybe after the benediction, you should come by and I could slap each one of you on the head and your way out. Or just touch you gently with the spirit. I don't know, whatever. whatever. If you're following us online, they did not appreciate that. But for those of us who have eyes to see and ears to hear, the, uh, the implication lurking just beneath the text is this. Authentic discipleship cultivates inspired worship, which compels us into engaging missions. Discipleship, worship, and missions are not independent, autonomous options on the buffet of church programming. They are interconnected realities surging through the life force of the Christian soul. For us to ignore or suppress one of them cripples our ability to experience God in any of them. Or I should say fully experience God in any of them. Authentic discipleship cultivates inspired worship, which compels us into engaging missions. You can start at whichever one of those you'd like, but you and I won't be able to experience the full glory of God in one of them without the others. Yes, you, you can come in Sunday morning worship and you can get something out of it. Amen, thank God that that's true. But there's more. There is so much more. You know God, you can know God uh, greater than me. I don't have uh, any you know, uh, hold on that just because I'm the pastor. But is your heart content with that? I know God so much. Yeah, but isn't there more God to know? Isn't God infinite? Can we always be being filled up? Is your heart content with what you know of God? Or would you like to experience more of his presence? Because there is more grace and more love. We're having a bit of fun uh, calling Barnabas the man who saved the New Testament. I mean, we know that God's going to accomplish his purpose regardless of our responses to his grace. But at the same time, we also know that God has designed it in such a way that our responses are vital to his grace reaching the ends of the earth. Barnabas saves the New Testament because he disciples Saul of Tarsus on the way to becoming Paul the Apostle. But who is saving the Testament now? Now that the church in Antioch has spread across the world and into the Americas, who is taking the testament of what God has done and will do and saving it from being snatched away and not taking root in the heart? The testimony of God's grace through Jesus Christ, the words that will never pass away, are not meant to lie dormant on pages filled with ink. They are meant to come alive in the hearts of men and women. So let me ask it another way. Is there a group of people in this church with whom you are trying to live a life that becomes the gospel? This is why we're trying to start up those house fellowships. 
And we're going to keep providing opportunities to learn about them until you catch the vision of what Christ designed the church to be. Every church wants to raise up and send out a Paul. But we balk at, we get intimidated by the idea of being a Barnabas to somebody. Maybe what we're missing after all these years and what we've been longing for without words is not the latest and greatest program, but a time of coming together and encouraging one another in the faith. A process of becoming disciples who make disciples. Let's pray. Father God, we ask that you would once again come into our hearts, our minds, our souls. Remind us of who you have been in our life. Restore within us that passion we had when we first loved you. Open up our hearts and unbind our mouths that we would leave from this place overflowing with the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Stand with us as we praise the Lord. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. To find out more about Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityreston.org.